so we are in uh, Exodus chapter 25, verses 1 to 9. We're going to see how God gives his people vision, how God gives his people provision, and then how he calls his people to decision. It's not alliterated, but they do rhyme. Vision, provision, and decision. Hear then the word of God. Exodus 25. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel, that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him. You shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you will receive from them. It will be gold and silver and bronze and blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twisted linen and goat's hairs and tan, tanned ram skins and goat skins and acacia wood and oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting in the ephod, the, the breastplate for the priests, and let them make for me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make it. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have gathered this morning as your people and we have gathered to you. We know that your word is living and true. And so we sit at your feet to learn from you. We would not just gather information this morning, but we would be transformed. We ask you to come. That you would speak in our midst, even as you have through the, through the years and through the generations, that you would speak to your people, that you would stir us and move us, that we may be faithful in our generation as we seek to serve and to follow you and to honor you. So we ask and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. God really has given us an amazing piece of property. We still sit here on somewhere between 25 and 27 acres in the middle of a growing neighborhood that is literally growing around us, adding hundreds more houses on the other side of us. As I turn into the neighborhood, I, even this morning, every morning I have the privilege of working here, so when I, I turn into the neighborhood coming in at the, at the street up here every week, I still uh, marvel to see the, the property laid out uh, before us, a church you know, nestled in this green field and all that God has given us. But I don't just see, and we should not just see property as we come around, but to see opportunity, right? To see what God is doing, to see the growing neighborhoods in this direction, to see the people, to see the opportunity that stands for us. I see our church in many ways standing in the middle of this community as a lighthouse. So, you know, it's not tall with a light, but it is, in many ways, it functions in the exact same way in the midst of a sea of darkness in the midst of a world that needs to hear the gospel and needs to know Christ and need to be discipled, um, we stand in the middle. God has given us a, an amazing uh, opportunity here in this place at this time. Some people ask, you know, why we want to spend money on a building, you know, when people are the important thing, right? People are the important thing. You're the important thing. You're the church, not the building. And this is true. It's like a house, you know, what makes a house a home is, is the people that are in it. It's a family that lives in it. What makes the house a home are the people. But people without a house are homeless, right? That the house is still an important piece of the pie. People are rooted in place. And though that it is the people that make the house a home, right, 
room for folks, the more people you have in the house, the more space that you need. As we think about the opportunity and the challenge that before us, the Bible does give us some examples of building projects. We were just reading about one here a moment ago. And we see that one of the very first things that, that the Lord told the Israelites to do, he delivered them from Egypt, right? He raises up Moses. He works in miraculous ways to, to encourage Pharaoh and the Egyptians to let his people go, and they do, and they finally are released from bondage and from slavery and delivered on their way into the promised land. And as they, as they leave Israel and enter into the wilderness, one of the very first things that God asks his people to do is to have a capital campaign for a building project. True story. Right? We just, we just read part of it. It, it, is, it is part, right? See, the tabernacle is designed to be a portable place of worship. Right? They're in the wilderness, and it turns out they're going to be there 40 years. You know, and as they're wandering, God, one of the first things he wants to do is have a capital campaign to raise what's necessary for a worship space for his people, a gathering. It's designed to be a, a gathering place until they can settle in the promised land, build something more permanent. And he spends, the Bible spends some 50 chapters there in the Pentateuch in the first chapters of our Bible. Some 50 of them are describing the building project and its furnishings and the capital campaign necessary to make it happen. Some 50 chapters out of the Pentateuch. Capital campaign, design, construction, the use and significance of this place of worship. Now, there are obvious differences between this building of the tabernacle in the wilderness and what God is doing there in our building project. There are some obvious differences. But there are also some very important parallels and things that I believe that are helpful to us and important to us. And, you know, some of the, some, at least one of the most obvious differences to me is that they had a direct, infallible mandate from God. Um, and that would be nice. That would be nice in almost any walk of life, would it not? God would just tell us what to do. Like, if God had said it, like, we wouldn't even be having a capital campaign in the same way. It would just, the way the Lord works, if we have that kind of a direct. But, but we do believe that we have sought God's will in these things, and and have asked him what he wants to do, and he has provided for us where we are. And God, what do you want to do? Where do you, where do you want to go? Not just for us in this moment, but for, the, for our children and our children's children. This will be here long after I'm gone, long after you're gone. There will be a lighthouse on this property in the middle of this neighborhood. And generations from now, Lord willing, there will be a ministry here. And he is leading us to invest, I believe, in the future, in the next generation. And so we can get some insights, I believe, in how God works in and through his people to accomplish this kind of thing. We see that he gives his people vision, he gives his people provision, and he calls his people to decision, right? We're going to work through the passage backwards. If we could do that, we'll start in verses 8 and 9 and see that he gives his people a vision, and that's where he describes it. In verse 8, he says, let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle, all of its furnishings, so that you shall make it. He gave them a vision. He said, you're going to be out here for a while. What we're going to do is we're going to make a worship space, a sanctuary, a tabernacle. I'm going to give you the blueprints, right? He gives them the design. He tells them exactly how he wants to build it, what furnishings that he wants in the building. And he calls his people to this project. He gave them a vision for what he wanted to do. We're going to build something. 
a center for worship, a center for, for the people to gather. It will be at the heart of the community and the people will gather. Even as they wander, they will gather for worship. And so God gave Moses a vision for the project, literally detailed blueprints. If you read these sections, it's one of those places that when you're having trouble sleeping, you might read because he goes into great detail on, on how big it will be and how long it will be and how wide it will be and what materials you're going to use and how you're going to make this and how you're going to make that. And, and he goes into great detail in describing in these, these blueprints that he gives to Moses. But have you ever wondered, what would it cost today if we were to build a replica of the tabernacle and the furnishings, as it's described right here, if we were to to build a replica of it out in our yard, just as described, how much would it cost? What would be the cost of the project as described by God and accomplished in Israel? Well, in Exodus 38, and we're going to move ahead a little bit in this story and a little bit back in the story because this is right in the middle of a story and even here where he, he, he instructs Moses and gives him the vision, he has to give that vision to the people and then he, has to, then he has to do it. And so all of that still happens. And we see that in Exodus chapter 38, some down the road from here, verse 24, we're told that they used more than 29 talents of gold and 100 talents of silver. Now if you don't know, talent is, a, is an old uh, biblical measure of weight for metals. So you could have a talent of gold, a talent of silver, a talent of bronze, a talent of... A talent was about 66 pounds, right? So if you have a gold bar, an ingot, right, a gold bar, that probably weighs somewhere between 25 and 30 pounds. Gold is heavy. So they had 29 talents times 60, so they had a couple thousand pounds of gold, which is like 25 ingots or something. Wait, not more than that, 80 ingots. So you can imagine, that's a lot of gold, $1,700 $1,700 an ounce is what gold costs right now, an ounce. $1,700 an ounce. So in the, in the value of gold alone, it was over $50 million. The golden lampstand was a talent of gold, so it took like two and a half of the ingots, like if you're imagining Fort Knox and they're stacked in there. So an ingot that size is like 25 to 27 pounds of gold. Um, and, and to build the lampstand, it took about two and a half of those bars because it was a talent of gold in the lampstand, and I can see that in the, in the, uh, in the thing. $1.7 million lampstand. It's difficult to calculate the materials. We could do this all day, and you know. But it's difficult to calculate, especially as you read the list that he gives us in verses 3 to 7 of all the things that he gathered between gold and silver and bronze and all of the different things that, that he requires, the materials that he lists that were going to be needed. But my point is this, that it wasn't just a big tent that they were making, right? It was, it was, there was a lot more going on because of all the furnishings that went inside, including the Ark of the Covenant, which is also being created, being made at the time, completely overlaid with gold inside and out with a golden lid and golden seraphims on the top. So there's there's a huge project going on here and a very costly project that is God's vision for Israel, that God gave Israel and said, we're we're going to do this thing and in our time and in our dollars, it would be somewhere between a 60 and 100 million dollar project. 
by my calculations. Do with that what you will. But the question should be niggling at the back of your mind, right? So the Israelites have been in slavery in Egypt for four or five hundred years, and the Lord releases them into the wilderness. And so these slaves are now free, and God says, we're going to do this $60 million building project. Did you ever wonder, like, how do these newly liberated slaves afford a project like this? How are they going to possibly, where are they going to get the resources? They're wandering in the desert, these former slaves. Where are they going to get the resources? And we might be asking ourselves a similar question. How can we launch this kind of a building project? Where is the provision going to come from? How does God do it? So let's look closer at the provision. This is part of a, as I said, a story. There are things that went before and that come after because Here's the thing, God's people contributed that list there in verses 4 to 7, all the gold and silver and the bronze and the, and the skins and the wood and the onyx and the precious stones. God's people donated every, every last bit of it. That's where it came from. So God gives his people provision, but God gave it to his people first. right? God gave it to his people first. God gave them the vision, but he also gave his people the provision for all those things in verses 3 through seven that we were just listing, gold, silver, bronze, fine linen, skins, woods, oil, spices, incense, precious stones. God was assuring Moses that the people are going to give you everything that you need. For this daunting project, this huge project that, I'm, that he's putting on Moses, I'm trying to imagine Moses thinking, okay, all right, this is, you know, let me get this down. Like, you want this thing built and it's going to require all of this. But God tells him, even as he gives it to him, Verse 2, speak to the people, take from the congregation, from every man who moves his heart, from him you're going to receive the contribution from me. You're going to receive it. All you need to do, Moses, is receive the stuff. Right? All you need to do is tell them what I said and then receive. But that begs the question again, how did a bunch of newly liberated slaves afford such a vast project to have all these materials, gold, silver, bronze, and all this stuff? Well, it's a beautiful story of God's sovereignty, that God knows the beginning from the end, and he has a plan long before you know what it is, and he's working when you don't know that he's working to accomplish the things that he's planning to accomplish, that God is sovereignly orchestrating things to his own purposes and ends. And so we see his sovereignty because here's the thing. God had already provided everything, every single necessary resource that's in that list that he needs to build the sanctuary. He already gave it to his people. They already have it. They have it in their proverbial pockets right now, right? Right when he's telling Moses this in the wilderness because he already gave it to them, right? So now you've got to step back to Exodus chapter 3. When God appeared to Moses, so in Exodus 3, it's the calling of Moses. Moses is on the backside of the desert hiding out, you know, from, from, you know, running from having killed somebody in Egypt. And he's out there. God finds him in the desert. He appears to him in a burning bush. He has to take off his shoes as his holy ground. God calls him to this exodus to deliver his people to do this thing. And when he calls him, he makes him a series of promises. Before Moses can say anything, God said, here's what I want you to do. Here's what I'm going to do. And he gives him a list. He gives him a number of promises. And among those promises is this one, Exodus chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. I will give this people, my people, who are going to be Israel, I'm going to give them favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, 
when I let you go, when Pharaoh lets you go, you will not go empty. But every woman is going to ask her neighbor and every woman who lives in her house, you're going to ask the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and you'll put that on your children, your sons and your daughters, and you're going to plunder the Egyptians right, on the way out the door when they're letting you go. In some ways, there's going to be some recompense here. And they're going to send you away empty. And it's exactly what God did. He gave them favor in the eyes of the Egyptians. And when they're about to leave and they ask. And there's the number of Israelites at this time is, is vast. So it doesn't take a lot if you were to ask your neighbor for some gold. That if everybody got just a certain amount, it doesn't have to be a ton. There's so many Israelites, there's more than enough for what God intends. He gave them favor. And so in Exodus chapter 12, some chapters after that, it says the people of Israel had also done what Moses told them. He told them what God told him to tell them. For they had asked the Egyptians for gold and silver jewelry, for clothing, and the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and he let them have what they asked. And they plundered the Egyptians, and they left with pockets full of gold and silver and fine linens and all that they needed to go and make a new life for themselves. God gave his people what they needed, but he also gave them what he needed to accomplish his plan, and he prospered his people to the degree that they would have what he needed to accomplish his capital project. So Moses could say this at this time when he's having this this conversation with God's people. He could say to them, look guys, the good news is this, God has already abundantly abundantly provided everything we need, right? It's already been done, you know, before we left. He gave us what we need. Then he would have to say something like this, but the bad news is it's still in your pockets, right? It's still in your pockets. The good news is we have everything we need. The bad news is he's asking for some of it back, so to speak. But is it bad news? There's an important truth in all of this that underlies the truth of God's sovereignty and and our dependence throughout Scripture from our creation until the end of time and uh, end of our time, that it is the Lord who prospers us. That that you don't have anything that God hasn't given to you. If you don't know that, you you need to know that. that. That there is nothing you have that God has not provided for you. It is through God's favor that we acquire the riches of the world, that we have what we need and he provides for us. In the book of Deuteronomy, this is in the same window of time in the Pentateuch here before they even go to the promised land and they're still wandering. He reminds them this, he warns them of this. He says, beware lest you say in your heart, it's by my power and my might and the might of my hand that I've gotten me this wealth. We're always tempted with that. I worked hard. I get up early. I got the job. I get the paycheck. Right? We're, we are always tempted to think, to say in our hearts, it's by my power and might that it got me this wealth. But he says, you shall remember. It is your, the Lord, Yahweh, that's his covenant name, the covenant God of Israel. You shall remember that Yahweh, your God, is the one who gives you the power to get wealth. The ability to give wealth. In other words, everything that you need to get wealth, health, intelligence, opportunity, all of these things you have from God. 
where you were born, when you were born, whether you were born healthy, whether you're tall, whether you're short, whether you're, you know, have this intelligence level, that intelligence, whether you have this skill, this gift, this talent, whatever it is, whatever opportunities, you were born here and not there, all of these things are in the hands of a sovereign God who has given you. And that every day, he, you know, he asks the question, what do you have that you have not received? And then why do we act like we have not received it, but that we say in our hearts, it's by my own power and might that I've done these things. But every day, every moment, everything that we have should be gratitude. He says it later in Israel's journey in Jeremiah chapter 9 that indeed this kind of thing happens. And so thus says the Lord, Yahweh, your covenant God, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches. Why? Does he have to keep warning us? Why? Does he have to keep reminding us? Why? Because he has provided all things, but we are tempted to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, and less highly of him than we should, less grateful, less worshipful. That you even take breath every day in the lungs that he created, in a lens to you, so to speak. He says it in 1 Timothy in in the New Testament. He says a similar thing. As for the rich in this present age, charge them, warn them to not be haughty, to be proud, to be arrogant. Warn them, charge them not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches because riches are uncertain. They come and they go, but definitely you, you can't take them with you. And don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but set your hope on God because He richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Everything that we had, God has provided it. And yes, he's provided it for our needs and for our enjoyment. But they are the gifts of God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, from our Father. So that this is a truth that should be driven into every God-exalting heart, every believer, which is a heart of gratitude. That we live before God grateful, for everything that we have and everything that he has given, for his goodness and his kindness to us. So why does God allow the Israelites to plunder the Egyptians, to prosper them? Why does he make the Egyptians so favorably disposed? And he said he will do it. Why does he want this group of ex-slaves to have so much? What does God want his people to do with all that he has given them? And when we are blessed with material things as they were, what does the Lord want us to do with them? Because the Lord certainly wants to provide for us. He certainly provides for our needs. He he provides for our needs and beyond that. He provides for our enjoyment of life and good things and good gifts. And he wants us to. He's given us taste buds and the ability to have joy and to taste things and enjoy things. And he wants us to enjoy his good gifts, but that is not an end in itself, and it's not the only thing that God is doing. He gives us enough to provide for us, absolutely, but he has bigger plans. He had bigger plans then, and he has bigger plans now. He always has bigger plans than our little kingdom and what we do with what we have. He's got bigger plans, and you're part of that plan. You're always part of the plan, whether you're in this church or that church or that church, whether you live now, then, or anywhere. God's got bigger plans, and if you're his, you're part of them. 
And the truth embedded in this story is this, that God entrusts to his people all the resources needed to accomplish his purposes. That's how he does it. He, he, is, he prospers his people and he entrusts his people with everything necessary to advance his purposes. Everything God requires for the construction of the tabernacle, he has already provided. He literally put the resources in the Israelites' proverbial pockets. And when the time came and the call was made, God had already abundantly provided everything that would be necessary to accomplish his vision and his plan. God could send silver and gold down from heaven. He sent manna down. He sent bread down from heaven. He, if he can send manna down from heaven, he can send anything he wants down from heaven, I'm assuming. God is omnipotent. But he doesn't. Just like he could cause people to believe. He could, he could do ministry without us, right? But he chooses for us to share our faith, to do evangelism, to, to preach Christ. It's through the foolishness of what is preached that men are saved, the scripture says, right? God chooses to use us. And in the same way, he could send it down. He could do it himself, but he chooses to bless his people. He loves to work in and through his people in this world. It's the way that he has done it that he, he enables us, empowers us, his grace and his power and his blessing, and then he works in and he works through his people to reach a world for Christ and everything that entails. So we know that God has provided everything that we need, but the bad news is it's still in our pockets. So God calls his people to decision, and we see this as we step back from his vision in 8 and 9 and his provision in 4 to 7, everything that he's given them and how he has given it to them, back to verse 2 to where all this started. Moses, you need to talk to my people. Right? Moses, go talk to them, and I got, here's what I want you to tell them. I want you to tell them that we're going to take a contribution, we're going to do a capital campaign, and from every man and woman whose heart moves him, you're going to receive a contribution for me to accomplish my plan and my purpose. That's how it's going to go, right? That's how God planned and designed for it to happen. God sovereignly blesses his people with material wealth, and then he instructs Moses to do a capital campaign to raise and to move forward God's plan. Talk to my people. And they're going to give everything that we need to do this thing. And so he says, from every man and every woman, verse 2, right, take from me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him, right, whose heart <laughs> sees it and gets it and is grateful and wants to do all that God is calling us to do. And he says, you will receive the contributions. God gives his people a vision. He gives his people provision. And then he works in our hearts, right, to move us to generosity. That's how he does it. We see this because this is what happens in Exodus 35. So God gave them this plan, right? And then when he goes to execute the plan in Exodus 35, it says this, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded, this capital campaign. He says, take from among you a contribution for the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold and silver and bronze. And they came. 
Everyone whose heart was stirred in him, everyone whose spirit was moved within him, they brought the Lord's contribution to be used in the tent of meeting. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart. They brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and arm, armlets, all sorts of objects of gold. Every man dedicating an offering to the Lord. That's how it's done. Generous hearts, stirred hearts, right? You see those phrases running through that text. Generous hearts, stirred hearts, hearts that were moved to spirits that were moved, willing hearts, all offering to God. This is what the leadership is praying for. This is why we take time out in, in it to prepare our hearts for what God is doing and what God wants to accomplish. And for most things, we, we should prepare our hearts. What is God saying? What is God doing? How is he moving me? How is he stirring me to be involved? We're not interested in manipulation or arm twisting. Jesus said, God loves a cheerful giver. It's really a remarkable sentence. There's not a lot of things in there that it says that God loves. And that we know for certain God loves this. But here he says, here's one thing we know with absolute certainty from the lips of Jesus, that God loves a cheerful giver. And we wouldn't want anything other than that. A cheerful giver is what the text described. Those who are stirred, those who are willing, those of a generous heart, those who are cheerfully and joyfully doing what God is calling us to do. What he moves and enables us to do. Right? And he enables us. He prospers us. Right? And this is how he does it. He gives us a vision and then he prospers us and he provides it. And then the last thing he does is he works in our hearts. He moves us and he stirs us and, and he causes us to be a generous and gracious people. The end of the story stretches my faith. In Exodus chapter 36, 35 is when they're bringing all the stuff and every one of them is coming and they came and they came. And Exodus chapter 36, verses 3 to 5, it says this. They still kept bringing him free will offerings, right? Freely, joyfully, cheerfully, every morning so that all the craftsmen had to say to Moses, Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough gold to do the work that the Lord has commanded us to do. God's people were so inspired. There was, there was so much. They actually had too much. I'm trying to imagine this. They actually had too much to, to accomplish the project and have leftovers. My friends, we voted together to pursue God's vision. We're spending these weeks and the next couple of few weeks asking God to give us vision, to help us to see and to be grateful for his provision and then allow him to lead us, to move us, to stir us, to grace us, to lead us to decision of how does he want us to sacrifice and to give and to be a part of what he is doing. Not just for us as a church, but we believe this is a generational thing, that, God is, that what God is doing and what God is building is not for us, but for our children and our children's children. And for those who will come and go from these neighborhoods, God has given us land, he's given us vision, and he has indeed prospered us, prospered us. And we believe he's saying now is the time. Ask God's people. So we're asking you to talk to God. We're asking you to ask God, what does he want you to do? What is your part? On October the 30th will be the Pledge Sunday. 
And as part of our worship, we're asking everyone to make a three-year pledge. There are some who may, your circumstances, give in lump sums or once a year, however you want to give. You know, that's, you know, but for, for people like me, just normal working people, I'm going to figure out from my budget where I can cut, scrimp, and pull together and figure out an amount that I'm going to give every month, make it part of my budget and give it over three years. And that's what we're asking you to do, to make a pledge to give over three years to help build and to pay for what God is leading us to do. We're like the Israelites. We're a people set free by the grace of God. We've had our own exodus where God has delivered us from our sin and from the judgment of sin and led us into a new life and we're still in a sense wandering in the sense that we're not home yet to the full promised land and here in the in-between times he, he does this kind of thing. We're people set free by the grace of God facing great opportunity and exciting vision that we believe he has given us and so we're asking God, to stir our hearts, right, to make us willing and to make us generous, even as he'd done since day one in delivering his people and creating a people for himself to make us willing and to prepare us indeed to give. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word that is living and true that you have captured here for us what you have done and how you have done it. And even as we look at our own circumstances and look at the future and long to know your will and long to follow it, Father, we don't want to do anything that you don't want us to do. We don't want to get one step ahead of you. Would you have mercy on us? Would you pour out your spirit and stir among us? Would you move our hearts? Would you give us vision? Will you help us to know what our part is that we may participate cheerfully, willingly, and wholeheartedly for the good of your church and the glory of your name and the advancement of your gospel and the advancing of your kingdom work among us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.